Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics. We're the paranormal podcast that delves under the hood of the strange and the unexplained. And today we've got a special guest in the studio, right, man? Yeah, we have, yeah. So uh, over uh, uh, a couple of uh, podcast episodes, we have looked into remote viewing. So uh, remote viewing being the ability to uh, be in one place and I suppose psychically look into a destination or a target and see what it is. And uh, so we looked into uh, the, uh, the the theory behind it and then we did an experiment. And, and it's, ba- it's basically the first episode was the CIA, right? This is right. the history yes. of the CIA program. Yes. And the second was us trying it out. And it raised a, you know, we came away kind of scratching our heads going, that is just, we've had such a bizarre experience. We thought we needed to talk to somebody about it. And we've brought in somebody who is, I guess you're describing as one of the leading remote viewers in the world. Uh, He does it as a profession uh, full time. So we've brought him into the studio. So following on from the couple of podcasts that we did uh, a little while back now, and you might remember that we did a remote viewing experiment between the two of us. We've kind of been wondering about that topic uh, for quite some time and trying to understand whether what we did, you know, was it real? Did, Did something really happen um well, and basically we've been trying to make head and a tail of it haven't we? exactly it's basically yeah. the oddest answer yeah <laughs> um but we're very lucky to be joined today by daz smith who is a remote viewer and author and author of one of the books that we read to get us into that controlled remote <laughs> viewing uh daz welcome to the podcast hi guys yeah it's great to, great to chat to you and i i've been enjoying your work so far oh, well, thank you no it's thank great you to very have you much here. Well, I've been um, absolutely enthralled uh, by your books. And when I speak to people about remote viewing, uh, so some of the other topics we do, like, you know, ghosts and werewolves, people have often heard about that. But people haven't really, um, as I find, sort of commonly come across the term remote viewing. Um, How did you first get into it? And how did you know that you had some abilities? Well, yeah, that's a that's a large question, really. Um, I've always had abilities. Uh, I'm and I'm quite lucky in the, in the overall psychic and remote viewing community in that it was the normal. It was normal in my household. Uh, my mother was a a trained uh, medium clairvoyant, and she ended up running the local uh, spiritualist church for many years where I live. So we always had a library of books on paranormal and esoteric, and I and I grew up with it in it. It was never for me. It was never classed as an outside uh, experience kind of subject that people should laugh at. It was always a, it was always entertained as a serious subject, uh, which was talked at at the dinner table and everything. So, from an early age of about ten years old, I was uh, addicted to reading uh, any book I could find on the paranormal. I took up training properly when I was fifteen years old in tr- what I call classical or traditional psychic techniques. So we're talking channeling, tarot cards. I did um, clairvoyance, clairaudience, mediumship. I did uh, reading of tea leaves, of sand, you know, pretty much any kind of divination and psychic technique out there. I trained in that. 
And then in 1992, because I was interested in UFOs as well, and I became a UFO researcher for 20 years, I, uh, I went to a UFO conference in Leeds. It was one of the biggest ones in the UK at the time. Um, and someone played an audio tape there of a, uh, of a secret conversation between uh, someone that claimed to be an intelligence official in the US and that they claimed to have worked on UFO cases, uh, backtracking where the UFOs came from and then uh, back engineering them through a psychic technique called remote viewing. Uh, of course, being interested in uh, all things psychic and being interested in UFOs, that blew my mind. So from 92 onwards, and this is pre-internet days, to be honest, uh, I went out of my way to try to find as much as I could, which was pretty scant information back then, uh, until 1995 when remote viewing really exploded, when the CIA kind of came out with you know the fact that they'd been looking at it for 20 years. Uh, and then it kind of took off and the people that were involved in the military program and the CIA spies uh, came out in public uh, and I managed to get on some secret kind of bulletin boards and message boards back then. And since then, I've been having uh, dialogues and conversations with them, really. So I've been addicted, yeah, since 92. And in your, uh, just one question on your early experience of uh, i don't know what we what we'd call kind of traditional paranormal you know the ghost clairvoyancy and stuff uh would it be fair to say the ufo phenomena and discovering about the remote viewing did that change your opinion of how those things worked yes uh mainly with remote viewing because once you study remote viewing uh you realize that it literally is it is almost the same as any other psychic technique other than uh, every practitioner of remote viewing, kind of, you kind of sign up to this written agreement, not written agreement, but you sign up to this agreement that everything you then do within the remote viewing psychic realm is going to be done in a way that's controlled and as scientific as possible. And we right. do that within a set of what we call protocols. So, you know, for example, the, it's never spontaneous. The, the project must always be written down on paper what the aims are and what you're meant to achieve. Uh, it should always be blind. The remote viewer should never know anything about the target whatsoever. Okay. Uh, all, all the remote viewer's data should be recorded in a format that can then be checked for accuracy, you know, and, and that they can't go back and change at any point. And the the, the biggest piece, piece that we really need to, to, to for this, for remote viewing to work is you need enough feedback for whatever target you're looking at to then be able to look at the remote viewer's information and give it an assessment of accuracy. Um, so we need all those protocols in place. And if you take those, if you take those out of it, then what we do as remote viewers is could just be what we claim as any other psychic technique. Right. Um, but but we enshroud ourselves in these in these protocols to try to prove, you know, and it's so I can prove to everyone that every time I do a remote viewing is not because someone's communicating with me accidentally or on purpose what the target is. All the information I'm actually giving across is can only come from one place and that's through through a some kind of psychic channel mm. so one of the the most sort of alluring things about remote viewing is that um because of all that documentation and the work that the cia did it's uh it's almost formalized it so when i read um C crv i was quite surprised that it literally was a manual about how you could get better at doing this and that to me is staggering that is because that sort of says anybody could do it yeah absolutely yeah and the the, the, the 
best thing about remote viewing and it is its credibility and in, in the fact that multiple labs and multiple intelligence agencies and you know branches of, of the government at many levels especially in the us spent 25 years and over 20 i think it's 28 million researching remote viewing and there is a wealth of documentation i have i have the what we call the official stargate archives so the program goes under the name stargate because that was the last name to it given to it when it when it demised and when it when it was closed um but the cia released the entire well not the entire but most of the, uh, most of the stargate documents the ones that they you know didn't black out and keep back yeah. uh, way, way back about 10 years ago and today it's something and i've read all these i've got them all it's 110,000 pages of information scientific experiments going back you know from from the 50s but but more so from 1972 to 1995 and it's all documented there and you know when you look at the metadata from all these experiments there are literally millions of experiments there that have been done over that 20 odd year period that that prove remote viewing you know is accurate and there is there is an ability there and most people to one level or another uh, have a capability to do it i mean it's interesting you said that because we uh, a different episode we did a, a few back we talked to a professor of journalism about how paranormal, unexplained stories were covered in the press. And we were talking about werewolves in Canuck Chase and various bits and pieces. And, you know, he he made the point of, well, those stories like werewolves, the press can kind of run amok a little bit because you, I think his exact words were, you're not going to get a werewolf phoning you up saying, no, I wasn't there on Friday night. You got that wrong. Um and we talked to him about UFOs, and weirdly, it was around the time of the Tic Tac UFO, the Pentagon releases, um, about where where it becomes from a kind of almost tongue-in-cheek story to more of a credible story. And he was saying official sources and documentation and all the things. And I think both me and Ben have been wondering, because you, there is all this CIA stuff out there and documents that say it works effectively that I've seen, why it's not being talked about more do you think that's some kind of conspiracy or why do you think that is it's not being talked about more well in my community and in, in where i go it's talked about a lot but i guess it's because it's almost like a, a sandbox you know people are attracted to you and, yeah. and what you do um it's a hard one i still think worldwide or globally there's a uh you know there still is a stigma attached in some way to any any kind of psychic information Although, you know, when you look at the latest stats around the world, especially when we have times like we're in at the moment of uh, unassured things that are happening and markets going down, then people do go to see psychics and, and seers a lot a lot more than at any other time. Um, I don't know. I think that there is, still is a general misunderstanding about the wealth of data uh, in these reports that is out there. You know, I've read all 110,000 pages of information. I, you know, I know them inside out. I spent many years doing that. And, you know, I even have the, they've just been released as a set of books. And the set of books is like, you know, it's like about 12, 15 inches thick. And each right. book is a series of four books. Each book, you know, they're quite expensive. They cost about $100 each. Um, and it's got the main bulk of the real hardcore science in those documents. But most people don't have the dedication or time to actually look through, you know, scientific reports. 
we're in a we're in a society where people nowadays want to read you know they want to watch a three minute video rather than read a 300 page scientific manual on how remote viewing works I guess you can't distill it into a TikTok. It doesn't work that way. You can't, no, uh, and that's the shame, you know. But we can show, we can show results, you know. And myself and many other people out there uh, get outstanding results, you know. And I have to say, all right off the bat, uh, uh, remote viewing is never a hundred percent accurate, you know. Uh, uh, and you know, we all we all have off days where we don't hit the target luckily for me i haven't had a um, touching wood here i haven't had a, an off day for a long time and i've got a really good accuracy i would say my database accuracy is something like 75 to 85 percent accurate 80 percent of the time so there's not an awful lot of data that i put out that doesn't you know hit hit the mark um but you know we all have a bad day uh, it's not 100 percent accurate uh and it has to be used uh with in conjunction, I would say with other sources of information as well. You know, you should never, you, you should never make a decision just based on remote viewing data. You should always use it in conjunction with other information sources because that's how it was developed uh, by the intel agencies and and the, and the CIA and, and so yeah. on. Yeah. And if I if I understand it correctly, the you can remote view things at any place in the universe and at any time that has existed or will exist yes but there is a caveat to that and we don't all agree on this and bearing in mind we you know even the american government and and all the scientists that works on this after the 20 odd million and 20 years of research uh, at the end of it they still could not work out what the underlying mechanism of of remote viewing is so we don't know how it works yet uh, we do, you know, there are indicators that it may be something to do with quantum entanglement or the holographic universe, that that kind of thing. But we don't absolutely know. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a hard one. It's an interesting subject. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. It's a bit of a niche subject within psychic and uh, in psychic realm. And even people that have been psychic for many years still don't really know about remote viewing. But as I said, it's it's because remote viewing is quite scientific. You know, you have to read the you to read you have to read the hardcore reports, and not a lot of people want to read mm. the hardcore reports. Mm. Well, that's you touched on something there because I was going to ask you, how do you think it works? Because this is different to other, um, you know, if you go and see a psychic, they might say that they're speaking to spirit guides or, you know, a, a deceased person, whereas that nobody's ever suggested that that is the case here and if they are you know if they're aligned if they if they have some similarities that probably means that either the psychics are what they are perceiving isn't dead people it might be something else or there is something higher i keep going back to it makes me think that we're a simulation and a computer program and we're able to access data from other parts of the, you know, uh, other nodes within the program that's running. Um, Level two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, what's what's your mental model of how you think it it might happen? I think, uh, and you know, I can't confirm this. I'm only going on what the current state of uh, science is. I think it's. Uh, I think when when scientists and physicists look at the. Uh, the lowest order of the universe, you're talking about the really small particles and stuff, they're starting to find that uh, these particles can be what they call entangled. 
So if you've got two of them as, as a set and you've got one on the far side of the universe spinning left, and then, you know, you've got this twin over, you know, on Earth here, millions of miles away, and that's spinning left. But if you, if you decide to spin the one that's on Earth right, the one millions of miles away instantaneously across that vast distance of time also spins right. It knows how to do it. So they're entangled across time and space. And the fact that we're all made up of everything in the universe as well, you know, the, the particles that came from stars are actually within us as human beings. Right? It leads me to believe, uh, and I can't prove this, that there's some kind of connecting force in the, in the universe, that everything in the universe is entangled or, or connected at some level, almost like in the, uh, in the Star Wars films, actually, with, with the force, the underlying force that connects mm-hmm. everything in the universe. I think there is some something in that, and I think there's I think everything in the universe is connected. And as a remote viewer, over two and a half decades, all I've done as 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 a person is trained myself to uh, be able to pick up and then uh, describe these and very subtle signals. And we're talking very very subtle impressions, but. As a remote viewer, you know, I don't actually travel to these distant targets. There's no part of me that actually goes there. It's just that everything in the universe is entangled. So that information about these distant targets in time and space is actually already encoded within me, within all of us. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. So, so what you're saying. So there's a metaphor, maybe this doesn't work as a metaphor, but, you know, if we've all got entangled shoelaces, you've kind of trained yourself to untangle them a little bit better than somebody who's never tried it. Absolutely. All I've done over two and a half decades and using the CRV process, which is a, a mark of genius by, by its creator, Ingo Swan, is uh, using his process and he designed his process to essentially record the data. But also, as you're getting the data coming in for your, yourself as a person to try to understand what is signal and real and what mm. is noise being created by your imagination. Mm. So that's that's a genius part of the process. But the whole 24 years, it's uh, all I can distill it down to is you're, you, the 24 years I'm learning more about me and how I process information and how it comes through me to make me more accurate. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that was in our, you know, very small and naive experiment. It was my own brain that I felt was the largest barrier to it because you start superimposing ideas and you start thinking, well, so one of the things that we we tried to do was um, uh, select some words from a children's reading source, create a picture around it and then see if the other person could see what the, that picture was. And... It still could be anything in the world, but we both agreed, like we were both thinking, well, it can't be that because you wouldn't get that in a children's book or. And so you start thinking all of these things which get in the way of of any thought. And then because you don't know what that uh, what the signal might feel like or look like, you're sort of I think I said at the time, it's like putting your head, your hand into a bag to guess what the object is, except the object is invisible and you're not exactly sure where the bag is either i mean the genius thing about what ingo created with the crv process is uh, you know controlled remote viewing is that um we sit down with paper and pen and we start off with very subtle impressions which we call an ideogram which is essentially a scribble um 
and we probe that then to get you know very basic data of is this hard soft is it you know is it land is it man-made and, and that kind of thing so very very basic data but through the entire six-stage cre process any any impressions that come into us like words or visions or anything uh, anything that's uh, that names the target gives it a name which is in a conclusion we always write to one side what we call an AOL, which is uh, short for analytical overlay, because essentially it's the mind uh, seeing data coming in. So I would see data come in normally. I'd touch the target or fill the target on my paper, and it would come in with data, and it'd be like, feels hard, it feels metallic, it feels like it might have round, black, rubber-smelling components in four places. And your mind would go, oh, oh it's a car, it's a car. Mm. It's definitely a car, but the moment you're, we're trained as a remote viewers, the moment uh, your mind jumps to a conclusion and names the, names the part you're looking at, we move to that one side and we say, okay, well, that might be right, but it might be wrong because it does, you know, my description did sound like a, a car, but that's, that's, that's a jump ahead. My description could have also been a lorry. It could have been a bus, you know, it could have been any mode of transport that might have four rubber looking components to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so we were yeah we're trained for the crv process to to and, and it takes years to do this to not name the target move that to one side and to just try to let the data come as possible and when you're doing your own experiments it's probably best to only try to use what we call stage two which is sensory data uh well and we call low level descriptors so you should always try to describe the target but never identify it and if you describe the target in its most level basics, you know, so you, you'd be saying, okay, if I'm if I'm looking at this target, if I if I looked at it, what color would it be? And you just write down the first colors that come in your mind. You say, just say, okay, if I if I tasted the target, what would it taste like? Again, the first thing that comes in your mind, you write it down. Don't dwell on it. Don't think about it. Just write it. So you're trying, and you're saying the same thing. You know, if I touched the target, what would what would it feel like? And you know, you might think, oh, it feel metallic, or it might feel slimy, or it might feel cold. You just write it down. So we try to get this low-level data. You know, we're we're not there saying to ourselves, "Okay, if uh, I'm looking at the target, what is it?" And then trying to identify it, because that's that's where people go wrong is trying to identify too early, and then yeah. the, the imagination jumps in and all over the place. It's those preconceptions, isn't it? Because Ben set me a target of the Channel Tunnel, and it was on a Google map. And he'd had this amazing result. So I was really feeling under pressure. I was going, right, I'm going to be, t I can't, I can't. And I was sat down and I just kept drawing these kind of sharp, straight lines. And all that was in my head was, it's lying down, it's lying down. And my brain just kicked in at that point. And I went, well, I'm just going to be so wrong. He will have drawn something standing up like a tower or something. So it's almost like my brain just took over. I know you describe it as something about the, the, its noise and the ego state and stuff like that. But it was weird. It was one thing reading about it. It's another thing kind of feeling like you're experiencing it. It was very strange. It's, it is strange. And our minds are very, although we don't realise it, our minds are very active. And we're, we're, we're people pleasers as well. Uh, yeah. And, you know, every part of us inside our ego or our subconscious always wants to try to please and so it always it's always trying to jump one step ahead and, and put a conclusion on on things that are coming in you know it's yeah it, it takes years to get to a stage where you kind of ignore that and if for me it, was, it took about five or six years up until that point i have performance anxiety every time i did rv session 
and I wanted the I wanted to know what the end result was too much. I got to a stage where I trusted myself after about six years, and I would literally sit down with my stack of paper and a pen. I'd be like, I don't care if I hit the target anymore. It just, just doesn't matter. I'm just going to enjoy the flow of the information. A bit like doing yoga, you kind of get mm. into a headspace. You enjoy the flow, of it and you don't matter if you're doing it right or wrong. Uh, and once you get to that stage of not caring, not allowing the ego to jump in, that's when the data uh, starts for everyone to become a, a bit more accurate. Have you ever, sorry, no, not have you ever, can you select your own target to remote view? That Because that would seem challenging if you said, uh, I'm going to, I want to look at the channel tunnel, then you would automatically just, you you yeah how do you do that they themselves write it down on a sheet of paper and seal it up in an envelope and then build over time they build up a what they call as a, a pool of targets you know maybe a hundred or so in there and then they think that they can um they can then randomly select one and do it i never have done because i still believe that at some level you know what's in that pool and that would give you a little bit of data, you know, because there are people out there that can memorize entire uh, telephone directories of telephone numbers and stuff like that. So we know the human mind's an amazing tool. So I don't trust that. So for me, as, you know, I'm a purist on this. So, and it's hard because, you know, I've, there's so many mysteries targets that I'd like to, to do. But, it, and being a ufologist as well, you know, there's so many of those. But so I've never done that. And in the case of like, you know, I did work a case for someone blindly recently, I say recently within the last couple of years of the Roswell crash, for example. Now, you know, I would have loved to have done that many years ago, but I essentially had to wait 22 years for someone to blindly tap. To ask you. Wow. <laughs> there are still UFO cases out there today, like, which I know would have solid feedback evidence, which would make great cases like the Rendlesham Forest uh, UFO incident in 1980. Yeah. yeah. I'd absolutely love to do that, you know, because we have the audio tape, we have this, we have the memo from the MOD. They took radiation readings, they took depression readings. So we, there's a wealth of abundant information to show that something happened, and it'd be a viable case. But no one's ever tasked me with it, so it's one of those ones that's in, you know, in, in my. That must be incredibly frustrating. It's incredibly frustrating. <laughs> some, you know, I have to be honest. Some remote viewers do do skip this process and they do create these pools of their own and they may use other ways to get around it but i'm a purist on this and i just won't do it i won't do my own pool even though i would love to so well i'll tell, I tell you what after this me and ben will sit there and try and think of all those targets that daz has ever wanted to do <laughs> and then we'll set them to you well we'll do that we I, I can I, tell you you know lot less monster why no one ever <laughs> did that with me I, yeah. i've never been set with bigfoot um, oh, that's another one <laughs> Rendlesham Forest. Um, that's the three biggest ones, I think. You right. know, I, I'm I'm quite lucky in the fact that there are quite a lot of my projects out there on video, and I put them out myself now. Where, uh, you know, I recently done Roswell now. Uh, did Area 51 not too long ago as well. That was pretty amazing. Uh, the Phoenix Lights event. That was pretty amazing. I quite often in the past have been sent to many areas of the Moon and Mars, and I've come up with. Uh, amazing you know structures and all that kind of stuff but you know it's not just me in that, this case most other remote viewers that have ever been targeted on mars or the moon have also come up with structures and beings all kinds of stuff going on in those in those areas um, and ben ben talks about earlier that there you know that it can be because again i think we mentioned it in the early podcast the first podcast and you know 
there is a bit of a giggle factor about that, isn't there? That there's structures on Mars and the moon and all that stuff. And Ben made the point, well, that could be any point in history. It doesn't necessarily, I can't speak, necessarily be now. Do you think there are structures now or do you think you are seeing something from the future or the past? I think, there are, I think uh, the data indicates, and it's not just remote viewing data, you know, you can look at some of the reports that come out, you know, like whistleblowers coming out of NASA and stuff and they said right. they've seen people airbrushing photographs and, and so on. And there, there are books going way back to the 60s and 70s where people have am, uh, analysed NASA photographs and they found irregular structures and stuff. So I think there is some evidence to support it. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think the data indicates from most the credible remote viewers that I know, and some of them did you know some of them, and they even worked some of these projects in in the military unit as, as practice targets. But I think yeah, I think there's definitely indicators of structures on the moon and Mars. You know, and you, and you know you have to ask yourself, there was a, there was a, a NASA plan to have a military outpost on the moon. That was the, that was the only reason we started going there. And then in the seventies, everything stopped. The next four moon missions were, were cancelled and there hasn't been any explanation why to this date. You know, there are allegations and rumours and all this kind of stuff that we were kind of warned off of going there. Um, and as I said, the top remote viewers I know in the world have all at one level or another indicated under blind conditions, and bearing in mind their accuracy rate for everything else they do is pretty good, that mm. there are structures on the moon and Mars so and, and one question we had when we were we we did the first episode was you know i think both of us thought well the chances that this thing has now stopped within the cia or the american military seems pretty low that there's probably something going on i mean officially why did the program finish well that's that's it's it's quite complicated um and it was it was under the, the program itself was in a little bit of a decline for several years in, in the, you know, from 90 to 95 anyway. And that's for various reasons. And you always had a little bit of a battle internally. Um, Cause you know, it, the, the main program was, you know, as you know, in, in the American military and Intel services. And, you know, we all know what Americans like, you know, that quite a lot of them are very religious and have very withheld beliefs. Mm. So they're all at some levels, there was always a, a battle for the people running the program you know they had they you know they would have the mick taken out of them you know with being called names and such and you know even some of the commanders that took over the program you know you thought that at points they were talking you know to the devil and that kind of stuff because that's their religious right. belief system right. so they had that going on but not only that they, you know I, I found records where certain people that were in the program and had left they were also starting to put through freedom of information requests for work that they did right. and you know so that was starting to come out but also some of the people that were working in the in a military program had also left and retired and then they moved to the civilian sector and they were starting to talk and leak and publish books so it was all cut you know it was all starting the secrecy about it was all starting to break anyway so i all think right. it's a culmination of lots of different things happening at that time and the fact that you know, it was moved to the CIA and the CIA was going through some severe troubles itself where it was trying to distance itself from any kind of controversial projects that had been done under his auspices. So yeah. lots of things happened that, that stopped that. Right. But to the, uh, your other question about whether they're still using it, I've been in touch with, you know, all the top people in this field, you know, ex-CIA agents, all the ex-military viewers for years. 
read through the entire documents. You know, I'm a bit of a history buff on the entire subject of this. I cannot find any evidence anywhere that there is an ongoing project. That's not to say there isn't one. And I can't find that any of the people that were knowledgeable at the time in the 90s that, you know, were the top people in the field then within reviewing it are involved in any projects. Of course, they wouldn't tell you if they were, I guess. But it doesn't they don't seem to be. If there was something going on, I would say it would be like what we're hearing about the UFO uh, matters now, uh, where we have the re- I don't know if you guys saw the release of the documents by the Admiral, Admiral Wilson uh, UFO documents release uh, not too yeah. long ago, about this Admiral that tried to get access to the top secret UFO program. And essentially, even though he was head of the Intel agency at the time and had impeccable credentials, he couldn't have access to it. And when he did some digging on it, he found out that the uh, the UFO program, as we know it, had been kind of moved out to the private sector. I would think that if there if there were a remote viewing project out there, that to hide it better and so so it was so it wouldn't be scrutinised um, by anyone in Congress or anything, it would probably be renamed something weird. You know, they didn't, didn't say remote viewing. It probably said it would probably be something like. I don't know, sensory consultancy services or something. Right. It'll be out in the private sector somewhere on, on a black budget contract. And yeah. on the private sector, we wanted to, uh, we, we were thinking about this as well. It's like, you know, if it works so, if it works so well for the military, there must be, I don't know, we were talking, if you're a big pharmaceutical company, I won't name names because that gets into trouble, but pharmaceutical company A wants to see what pharmaceutical company B has in development remote viewers would be incredibly useful in that wouldn't they they would and i would have thought that that's being done and i've heard rumors that that kind of thing done been done but you have to be careful in the fact that you know doing that's corporate corporate espionage um that'd be an interesting test case wouldn't it actually if it ever got to call it'd be incredible we have used remote viewing for medical research and we worked i worked a project uh, a couple of years ago where we tried to look at uh the bacteria phages that cause viruses. And then we, you know, we worked with scientists on that to try to see what they made of our data. And they were astounded by the data that we come up with. So it is possible. It's just, it's very hard as a remote viewer. Like I get hundreds of requests a week to do remote viewing and I don't do any of them from people I don't know because we have to work blindly. So someone could say to me, you know, I want, you know, I want you to do a humanitarian case. You know, my, my brother has gone missing. But I don't know if that's the real target he wants me to do. He could be a he could be a terrorist yeah. wanting me to do give information. Of course, you know I could give him my information, which would be a location of something, and it might be a, the best place to stick a stick a bomb in the US or something. And I don't know yeah. that. Yeah, that'd be uh, terrible, wouldn't it? If you kind of uh, the, the realization of what you've done would be just immense. We have to be very careful. Yeah, you know, and there are some people that don't know what they're doing, and you know, on my Facebook page with thousands of people. Uh, they used to, you know, someone used to come on the set of target and they used to just say, oh, I'll do it for you. You know, well, it's only a bit of fun, but it's not, it's not, you know, it can be fun remote viewing, but we have to be very careful what we're doing here because, um, you know, it can produce accurate results. And, you you know, if you're working blindly, which most of us should be, you don't know essentially who you're working with or what that information is because you don't have any communication with them until the, until the project's finished. So, what? yeah, it, it can be used for bad, but it can also be used for good. Yeah. What what's been the most surprising and or terrifying target that you've ever viewed? Well, the most surprising. 
um that's a hard one i did a i did a project for uh, a group called the farsight institute and it's online it's uh, you can actually see see a part that i put out for free on on youtube and it was a, the, the whole project was essentially the jfk assassination oh yeah Weirdly, I've written that on my notes. JFK, ask about JFK. So that's really strange. Yeah. So it was it was a blind project. I think all I had was the the, the target on this was identified was like it's target twelve, just you know just view it. And we did it all on uh, what we call whiteboard. So it's like you can actually see the whiteboard sessions of me in front of a whiteboard doing the RV live on YouTube. Uh, so it ended up being the Kennedy assassination, and I handed all my data over to the Farsight group and there were three other remote viewers and we had fantastic you know absolutely amazing data of someone being assassinated and all this kind of stuff um but as part of the video i went off on a tangent you know i knew that i was there watching or experiencing someone being killed and not part of the the uh, project to do uh, for half an hour i went off on a tangent and decided to follow the person being killed as they transgress through being uh, going through a death experience. Wow. Uh, and, and, and Courtney Brown and Farsight didn't put that part in the, in the, in the video because it was going off on a tangent. So me and another remote viewer called Dick Augar, we thought that the data was so important itself. We put it out as our own free video on YouTube. And I think it's called uh, they, the day JFK died or something like this. And it's, it's free for people can watch. And it, I think I, you know, so I'm actually sat there. I was stood there in front of the whiteboard, recording data, and then I'm following this person going through a death experience as they, you know, they're they're shocked that they're in pain, you know, all their emotions are crowded. They're like, oh my god, my family, all this kind of stuff. And then there's almost like a light switch going off, and none of that matters anymore. Instantly, none of that matters. And then they're in a place of calmness. And then I remember recording them uh, going through a process where they met all these energy beings which i guess were their family and friends and stuff yeah so all, uh, so that would be my most uh yeah that would be the most influential one for me because although in my past cl classical training you know I, I i thought i had communications with dead people and stuff i now believe that that might be possible but it also might be just uh, a psychic interpreting the same kind of information as I get through viewing, but thinking they're right. talking to a dead person. Yeah. You know, they're they're accessing the same akashic record of of data that's out there that we can all access, but they're yeah. filtering it in a different way than me. Um, but this 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 process that I went through did actually show me that there is a possibility of some kind of uh, continuation after after death. So that was. Yeah, that was the, the best one for me. And as I said, that's free on free on YouTube for anyone that wants to watch it. And we'll put links to that um, on on our social media so yeah. people can see that. In that in that vein, one thing we thought about was the act of doing it. Are there any kind of physical things that can happen to you? Are there any downsides of doing it? Can it can it mess with your brain? Or like that example when you were talking, I was thinking experiencing someone going through death could have. A detrimental effect on your health are there any side effects like that through the process i don't have any side effects uh, some people do and i i i equate it a bit like the film the matrix um you know they go off into this other non-existent place but what yeah. happens in that place might affect them physically in the place they're in i have i think that's the same with with any any kind of psychic endeavor really if you have a strong enough belief system that you know you're going to talk to a ghost and that ghost could maybe a negatively affect you because it's evil mm. if you believe that 
then I think then that kind of affects your your physical and mental nature afterwards. I don't really believe in that, so I don't in anything like that. So I don't think it does to me. Remote viewing does change you. You start off being agnostic to it, thinking, well, it might work. You try it for a few times, and you're like, and then it opens you up, and you're like, holy shit, I can go anywhere, and I can go anywhere in time and space. Did you, and you kind of think to yourself, do you know what this means? There are no limits to what the human being can do, and that that changes your whole perspective on on life. Um, and some people, I have to be honest, probably aren't mentally ready for that. So yeah. what, I do teach a few people a year. I teach two people a year. But each person that I teach, I make them go through a questionnaire with me first because I personally want to make sure that the people that I'm passing on to are mentally stable enough to be able to handle what I'm putting them yeah. through. And I could see that pressure because in the week after we did our test and, and I was doing some of the social media stuff and I was looking back at the images and me and Ben talked about it when we recorded the next the next week's episode after that. We both of us in a way were trying to say it kind of didn't really happen like that. We're just we're post-rationalizing it. It is and but the problem was some of the results were so strong and some of the feelings were so strong that we I couldn't argue it away. And it both left us feeling like that's just so I can understand how you might kind of I guess it plays with your mind a lot. Yeah, and I and I still get that to this very day. You know, like when I do the monthly news predictions, you know, some some months you're you're predicting bad. You know, because let's be honest, when the, the news that is reported month on month is usually bad anyway. Yeah, and you're you know month on month you're you're generally reporting you know terrorist attacks and plane crashes and this kind of stuff in your finger yourself. Oh, I'm reporting this. You know, this is what I got. I don't want yeah. to put it out there. I don't want it to happen. But at the same time, the month later, when it does happen, you're like, "Yes, I got that right." But then you're thinking, yeah. "Well, no, yeah, but 300 people just died." It, it it feels interesting that you've got the kind of the CIA thing going on. You've got the kind of credible results. The the more approach of the manuals and stuff. I think I described it as like something out of the Dharma Initiative in Lost. You know. It, do you think that all helps it, it, that there's less giggle factor about remote viewing than there would be, say, traditional being a traditional psychic? Yeah, we're quite lucky in the fact that, you know, we do have that background and history that we can re- rely upon. You know, we are standing, like I say, we're standing on the head of giants in the fact that, you know, these people did amazing work for what probably four decades now. Yeah. Uh, so we have this credibility but it's also a negative to us because we we are finding it's a constant battle because you will get con- uh, normal people that claim to be psychic also claiming to be a remote viewer without working through any of the protocols right. just because they're capitalizing on the uh on the background in history that, re- you know, that remote viewing has so it's always a, a constant battle that we're having right now and I think I read it, I think in the, maybe in the intro to the CRV book, you, you talk about people, I don't think you name it directly, but there seemed to be a vibe that there are people out there who may be exploiting people in the remote viewing learning area. It'd be interesting to talk about that and your views on that, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, I mean, there's lots of people out there training it. Um, and like, for example, you know, you, you got the book CRV and that was the essential, that was the one of the primary methods, it wasn't the only one, but it was one of the primary methods that Ingo Swan came up with and talked to the military. And then they talked to more military people. Um, but people then left the, the, the military unit and set up their own companies and stuff. And what they did is, you know, they t- took CRV then, uh, made a few changes to it and renamed it their own version. Right. Almost copyrighted it in some way. Yeah. 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 
So to, to, to this date, we have, you know, we had the, the first one, which was CRV. And then there was another one that came out uh, by a person called Ed Dames that left the military, then went out and taught thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, his own method. And what he did is he took CRV, made his own changed it, changes and called it TRV. Right. And those people went out and taught more people. And then you get another generation where, where it then morphs into one called SRV, which is scientific remote viewing. But even the, even the CRV people that were taught it then go away and then they make out their own version of CRV. So we got four or five many generations of different methodologies of this now is almost, but I think it's a bit more like uh, a bit like a, a photocopy. The CRV is the, the original at the top. Yeah. And the more you photocopy it down the line and people make the changes, the, yeah. the less, the uh, less clear the photocopy becomes. I think that, I think that's what's happening. There are lots of people teaching now different versions of methodologies, probably not as good as the original one because the original one went through many years of scientific testing to see if, you know, if, if they made a change, they would scientifically test that change and see if it had any benefits or deficits. I don't think some of the new people coming out with their own changes are doing that. It's just essentially changes for copyright reasons so that they have their own product. So there are, there is problems there and there are, you know, there are people charging significant, I would say significant amounts of money for training uh, for maybe inferior product training but i can't fully comment all that and as i say to people you have all i say to them is you really have to do your research first mm. um and if they want for example if they if, if anyone out there listening to this decides that they want to train in remote viewing uh, i did an issue of eight martinis my magazine a couple of issues ago where i actually interviewed every major trainer or around the planet and you know it lists how where they got their training what they do, how much they charge. So at least they're all in one place so someone can look through it and then make an informed decision. If, if you're getting any kind of remote viewing training or speaking to a remote viewer or anything, get some testimonials about them. You know, and, you know, have, ask, look at portfolio of their work, their accuracy, like you would any any other creative out there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's great. That's right. So yeah. let's let's just uh circle back because um you spoke you said you mentioned that you'd uh done area 51 and roswell what what did you find at uh, which one well um <laughs> roswell was that uh, an alien crash uh yes oh, wow. uh, and this was done i think it was done by three different remote viewers blindly so i think uh, oh, i think all we had on that was uh Tar your target is target i don't know i don't know what that was called 12, 12 or 15 or something um i detailed in great detail uh in fact i i i, I recently and again i know it's not really promoting another video but on my new uh uh youtube channel remote viewed a couple of weeks ago i uh, i did that project for a client who paid me to do it but i essentially still own because i'm an artist essentially i still own the information that's still mine um, and what that person did at the time is they put out their own video on DVD of all our, our data. But, you know, you know what it's like when you make a DVD, you, you cut it down, all the information, and mix it together. So what I did a few weeks ago, because I'd like to present a, a, a pure case to anyone interested in remote viewing, is I found my, uh, from, from four years ago, I found my raw video files of it and my paper sessions, because I did two lots on that. So I started off on paper. Then when I felt I was on target, I'd move on the whiteboard and did it live on video. What I did is I took all that raw information that hasn't been 
edited by me in any way and i put that out on youtube so you know if, you, if you're interested in seeing what I, I got you can actually see my paper sessions and and the youtube video raw footage which lasts i think an hour and a half of me looking at uh, at the uh, at the roswell event in detail but you know you know i can summarize it yeah there definitely was cra a crash of some very strange uh, moving craft with and i detail the technology and how it moves uh, how it generates the movement, all this kind of stuff. Looked at the uh, the beings inside it. What happened with the crash event itself? Yeah, it's all there. And did you go into as much detail of what they looked like? Were they a stereotypical greys, or were they, was it something different? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I sketched in life forms. Uh, the good thing about remote viewing is, you see, and especially the controlled remote viewing processes, we're we're like detectives. We don't know what we're looking at start to get an ID. You know, if you say to yourself, okay, I got a feeling there's a life form at this target. Uh, the great thing about being in control is uh, you can then say to yourself, okay, well, I'll move inside the head of this life form and describe what he's feeling or what he's thinking. And you can also say to yourself, okay, uh, you know, I'll, I'll move 10 feet above the uh, life form and I'll now describe what his body looks like. You kind of key yourself and move yourself around target, trying to detect it as much as possible, describing it, as I said to you, uh, without trying to identify it all the time. And anytime you do identify it, like I probably did write on the uh, Roswell session, oh, this feels like an alien gray. Because, you know, when you once you start describing the skin and you start saying, oh, it's pale, it's gray, you know, that instantly builds a picture of an alien gray in your mind, mm -hmm. especially if, if the last hour you've described some kind of aerial vehicle that's mm. flying through the air without wings and then it crashes. You, yeah. you know, you can't not but have these these conclusions, but you put it to one side and try to carry on. Uh, without being influenced but yeah i went in i mean i went into great detail on it and it's, it's all in, in in the free videos and and just because just because i really need to know area 51 <laughs> what what did you find yeah we all detailed that in great detail as well and literally the same thing on that as well a couple of weeks ago i put the raw files of paper and video of that all online for people to make up their own conclusion you know, I go into massive detail about, you know, you literally start off thinking, oh, it's just like barren land out in the desert somewhere. And you probe it more and more and you go, oh, there's structures here. And the, oh, the structures go down underground. And I detail a structure system that goes down from a central hub with uh, floors that come off of it. And I detail uh, craft being developed and being back engineered on some of the floors. Uh, one of the floors, they're looking at exobiology and trying to make weapons from, from ex, you know, from the biological system. Yeah, of life forms they're looking at. So they're actually trying to weaponize it. And there's actual physical weapons as well they're looking at. Um, yeah, so I, I go, I go to each of the floors that I'm looking at and try to detail what I find there. On one of the floors, I found um, interestingly, I don't, and I don't even know if they knew what they had because it, it felt this way to me. But I felt that there was this circular metallic uh ai contained in in a ball type thing so some kind of ai type uh sentient life form that was actually you know in it contained in the ball and it but it felt like it was being kept there or trapped there and it was a sentient life form but the people that were keeping it there didn't actually know what they they you know that they had that they had it wow yeah and it was an all-powerful sentient kind of weird kind of life form there that yeah so it was all kind of wow. stuff like that which is really interesting. you know and i described the, sec the security level what's going on there and bear in mind you know you start off this 
I don't know, you know, I don't know that they've tasked me Area 51. It's the first and only time in 24 years that anyone's ever tasked me with Area 51. So it's not like these targets come up all the time. Mm. Yeah. Area 51 in Roswell, you know, I've probably done over 24 years, I've probably done tens of thousands of remote viewing targets. I've only done those two, one, one each. Wow. So ma- maybe Bob good. Lazar isn't, maybe he's, maybe he's real. I uh, I think there's very I mean I know a lot about Bob Lazar anyway, uh, independently. But I think yeah, the data that I saw, one three or four other remote viewers saw, and the other data that's come out about Area Fifty One from whistleblowers and all sorts over the years, and from Bob himself, I think I don't think there's any evidence that he's he's lying. No, I haven't seen any credible evidence that he's not telling the truth. Hmm. It's funny because we, well, I think we said earlier, we did a, an episode on the Tic Tac UFO and the Pentagon releasing, uh, officially releasing. I can tell you something about that as well. I have actually worked that as a project uh, for a paying client, which was the TTF Tom DeLonge people. Right. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Um, c- I can't tell you what we came up with, but they, they did approach me and some remote viewing friends to work for them. Not the Tic Tac event itself, but the TTS people that are investigating and putting out information. I did work a a uh, did work a paid UFO event for them recently. Wow. Well, maybe I can ask you a broader question. In our podcast, we, I think probably me a little bit more than Ben, got a bit giddy that this could be the prequel to a bigger announcement that somehow the the Pentagon was softening up softening softening us up for a bigger announcement on alien life do you think i was just getting giddy or do you think that could be coming i think that there probably is is and always has been a campaign to slowly tell us yeah i also think that there's probably internally within the different services of you know intel and agencies and governments and uh warring services like you know the army navy that kind of, and air force i think that there's probably a conflict where a lot of people would like the information out but there's so much to be gleaned technology wise from it as well that they want to keep some of it secret for themselves and they you know right. they are making advancements from the secrets um will we ever get to know fully i think we might be getting there um because yeah. you know we know that the tts people have metal samples now as well that they're looking at yeah which is going to come out soon uh, yeah, so I think eventually we will get there. I think you know remote viewing has its part to play in it as well, and always has done because you know, like the, you know, one of the top people in in that TTS camp with Tom Delonge is How Putoff, mm. and How Putoff is one of the ones that worked and started you know the the remote viewing program in seventy oh, two and, and left in eighty six. Yeah. So you know there is a massive connection of both of them there. Yeah, and you yeah. know, I don't know if you've read it, but the 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 best book I've ever read on 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 the topic, really, and again, I can find no no reasons not think it's credible, is the book The Day After Roswell by Colonel Corso. Yeah, where he, you know where he said that you know he he found some of the Roswell footage in filing cabinets, and his task was to then take that out and put it in, into industry, and that's where we got our that's where we got my that's where I'm we got the cable internet I'm on now with the fiber optics that's where we got night vision yeah. transistors and all sorts of technology. And if that's true and there's, I can't find any evidence to, to not support why that might not be true because it tallies with so much other information and essentially our modern world we're living in right now. And the fact that we're talking over zoom is all down to that one craft that crashed in the desert in Roswell in 1947. The, but all of, all of this 
this must change your life view of things. Not just the fact that you can you can do it, but the fact that you've seen alien creatures and all of this. I mean, you can't you can't get up in the morning the day after doing that feel the same, can you? No, absolutely. Uh, and it's weird because you can only really have um, detailed conversations with other people that may have experienced it with you. You know, it's not like I can get up over and sit there with a boat of cereal with my, you know, with, with my wife. It doesn't, you know, who's scared stiff of anything to do anything paranormal and say, oh, yeah, I had a really good project yesterday. You know, I, it was, it turns out it was the Phoenix Lights uh, UFO event. And whilst I was scanning the triangle shaped object over in the sky, I popped into the head of the, of the person that was driving it. And what an amazing life form that was. It's hard because as a, as, a, as a remote viewer and a psychic with all this information in your head that you, you know, some of it you can't confirm, but some of it you can. And it's a, your own personal experiences. You get invited to barbecues and parties and stuff. And there's people talking about the weather and maybe they should be doing this. And you're thinking, you know, you're sat there on your own thinking, well, I can't talk to anyone about any of this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, for example, uh, I did for a number of years, I worked for a group called Find Me Group. And that was run by an ex-DEA agent called Kelly Snyder. And essentially what he does is he's an interface because he's an ex-DEA agent and he has lots of contacts in the uh, law enforcement field. Uh, when they had a coke case or a, a, a mystery they just couldn't solve with missing people, he would then go to us as a group of, of psychics and remote viewers and we would be tasked with looking at those. And working for them, I worked on over 250 missing persons cases for mm. pretty much every police you know, state in, in, in the United States. Um, That's crazy. You know, you can't talk back to normal people about, you know, hey, I'm just, I just worked a case for the FBI and where I told them to search. You know, you go on the news the next day and then there'd be an FBI helicopter in the news. You'd see it actually <laughs> in the news being reported like they'd be searching in the area you told them to. Yeah, yeah. You can't talk about that with, a normal, uh, with people that don't believe in this kind of thing. Because I think you're making it up. Yeah. So, just to finish on on that point, did how do you have to sort of detach yourself a little bit to keep your mental health okay? So get back into the world of barbecues. I'm pretty much all right uh, because you know it's not in my belief system that it's 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 real. I mean, it is real. You know, like the missing people stuff, it is real. And I have to be honest, after a couple hundred of them. Uh, it did, you know, because it's constant in day in, day out. It did ingrain on me, and that's why I, I haven't done it since I, I stopped doing it for a few years. Because, you know, when someone goes missing, the, 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 there is the largest possibility that they are dead. And, you know, you do yeah. kind of start reporting, seeing lots of – and it was children as well, you know. In one of the cases, like a child that had been – I reported that they were dead and missing and stuff. But, you know, there is lots of bad stuff. So you have to try to remain detached. But – even myself, who who I class myself being very detached, after a period of time doing that relentlessly, it did kind of start to build. So, uh, as I uh, sort of said on the on the uh, episode where we did the experiment, if you know everyone's at home at the moment, sitting around trying to learn new skills, I would thoroughly recommend getting that that book. What what other books uh, apart from the uh, your CRV book would you get for somebody that just wants to see what they can what can they achieve? I did put a list up recently on my website. 
but the best book i mean there are so many to be honest there's probably about 200 remote viewing books out there at the moment it depends how hardcore you want to get um but i would say for the absolute newbies that wanted to learn uh, something there's a book by paul h smith who was one of the military remote viewers and it's called the essential guide to remote viewing and he breaks down the history of it and how to set up your own experiments and in an easy way so that's 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 a good one and then the next one for students right off the bat is one by a guy called john noble who lives he's a remote viewer from new york and he wrote a book called i think it's called natural remote viewing that's another here's a bit of history here's how you do it uh, from home kind of process to to get you into it so those two those would be the two best ones for the beginner i would say when you're starting this really you don't do the kind of non-feedback or hard feedback targets like like roswell and and area 50 word yeah you, know, you, you get a good training pool like i have some on my website and loads of other people's do as well where there are solid training targets and most most best kind of solid training targets are are big events and big things in the world so things like the eiffel tower yeah. uh, statue of liberty the london eye we did Mount Fuji on Ben. That was the one that he gave. Absolutely. So, you know, the Colosseum, big targets like that that have been established for a long time, have a lot of entropy about them. They make great remote viewing examples and targets. Whereas, you know, this coin that I've got on my desk here it would be a, a rubbish incidental target. It's really hard for even a, a hardcore remote viewer like me to get because there's nothing to it. There's no entropy. There's no emotion. There's no movement. You know, there's there's just nothing there to grab hold of in in this psychic space that we're we're getting involved in. Yeah, and I I sort of feel like I'm gonna uh, practice this a little bit more because I was so surprised. I could set you a uh, if you want. I could set you a, a one or two training targets. Oh, yeah, yes, That's please. Right. Should we both do that? Yeah, I'm getting scared again now because you're just going to be so good, Ben. And I'm going to be yes, we'd love to do that. We would, we would. I could give you, you know, what I would give one of my uh, one of my men mentor students as, as what I would class a classical, very early stage newbie training target, just to see what you get. You would you wouldn't be looking to to be an expert level and dis describe it to the hardcore level, you know. If, and I won't give you this, it's, but you know, if it were if it were the Eiffel Tower. It'd be great if you just said it's a man-made, you know, a man-made structure in a foreign country. Right, right. That'd be fantastic. That's all. That's all I would need. You know, that's all you would need at that level to know you're hitting. You know, because out of all the possibilities out there of what it could be, you know, in the universe, the fact that you're getting just that small bit of data is a, is a good enough spark or start to get you on the path to getting more data. Well, well we'd love that. I think that'd be we'd, great. We'd absolutely love that. And I've. I'm going to feel dis disappointed if I don't do very well because... Well, you know, performance anxiety, even I get... To, <laughs> I'm, 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 having, I'm having to do this day in, day out, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, you, and you're only as good as your last remote viewing as well. Because we're doing it for a business and we have people, you know, pe people essentially putting uh, monetary decisions on what we're saying. And even not, not just monetary, you know, like we were advising people way before the coronavirus had got really bad that we were seeing stuff in our data that was indicating a big event was coming very soon. And we couldn't, we couldn't tie it down to what it was, but we were telling people stock up on food, stock up on emergency supplies. We're seeing something happening, but we just don't, we can't work out what's happening, but something coming. 
get, we get emails back from now. I get emails from people saying, thanks for that. You know, I stocked up on everything and uh, I didn't have to worry when we ran out, everyone ran out of toilet paper and stuff. I, I mean, I tend to, I'm, I'm, we, we always, when we're rec- recording this stuff, we always come with an open mind and just say, right, let's kind of, you know, to the subject, you know. But, you know, I, we always, always try and show both sides of it. But it, the the doing it, was it was i'm glad we did it because it really did give us a different perspective on it doing the trial and that's how they worked at uh, sri and in the military as well so you know and the program went through constant revisions but they also had loads of committees so they had like a senate oversight committee they had a scientific oversight committee they had a human oversight committee and you'd have all these people come in at various stages of the of, of the military program and you know the cia program and they would say you know i don't believe this works you know I think it's all rubbish. I think you guys are lying or you're misidentifying the data. And what Harold Putoff and the scientists would cleverly do is they would sit that person down and said, okay, well, you know, you want to see a remote viewing sample. You're going to do the remote viewing. And they would sit that person down, give them a target, roughly tell them what to do. And then every single time that person would be blown away because they would literally get the target mm-hmm. and then they would just, they would just shut up. And actually I've got a question on Ben one. So for, for Ben's one, I set the target of Mount Fuji and he he drew two mountains but with a snowy peak and there was a bit at the bottom where there was a lake and he thought it was tarmac but what amazed me was the and there are lots of angles that you can use of a picture of Mount Fuji but he seemed to draw it in the perspective of the picture that I'd chosen i don't logically i don't see how that makes sense well one of the one of the phenomenons we know within remote viewing is in people when they're doing this for the first few times is they tend to and this they tend to not get information about the target so he's not getting you you didn't get information about mount fuji itself he remote viewed the feedback you were going to give him right so he somehow tied into me yeah tied in got yeah so he looked into his future and, and saw what he was going to get as a feedback picture and he's reporting that that's what that's what happens okay. usually in the first few times oh, that's fascinating viewers viewers report their their feedback and the target you're gonna set for us which what 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 are the kind of tips that you would give us to get a great result all good ben's got his headphones off so like, i'll be better than him so do it now while he's not listening that'd be great <laughs> is like with all remote viewing don't try to identify anything any any words that come to mind where it where it names the target just put that write that to one side and say yourself thanks for that information you know i'm i'm just going to describe it and just try to describe targets so you know ask yourself questions you say okay here's a target uh is it hot or cold is it you know what does it what does it feel like what does it sound like if i touched it what would it feel like so you just say that yourself, and literally the very first thing comes into mind, no matter what, how crazy it is, write it down. Never omit anything. Okay. Never, never censor yourself. But yeah, don't try this. Don't sit there and say, okay, I've got to do a target for Daryl or whatever. I'm really scared. What's it going to be? Um, and then, you know, if, 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 some, if you get a vision in your head of London, which is a clear vision and it's naming it, just write to one and say, okay, I've got a picture in London. Right. You know, try not to do that. Try to describe it. That's why. That's how we work within remote viewing. Our mantra is describe, don't uh, don't identify. Okay, so so Daz is going to set us a target. Me and Ben are going to do it. 
hopefully, Daz, if you won't mind, at some point you'll come back on and kind of tell us how we did and try and interpret it for us. I'll do as well. As I said, if uh, I got your email address, so I'll send you loads of graphics of, of recent uh, predictions and stuff that we've done and I've done. Brilliant. You can have a look at those as well. And is it all right for us to put those online if we put them on our social media at TQM Podcast? Brilliant. Yeah, go for it. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Wow, Ben, that was that was an amazing interview. I can't believe we covered so much stuff. We had a bit of everything in there, didn't we? We had Roswell, we had uh, Area 51, JFK. What amazing guy. Really interesting, I thought. Yeah, super interesting. I mean, all of those things are exactly what I would look at if I, if I had remote viewing skills. Yeah, I, I, I think me and you need to have a think about what uh, his bucket list, see if we can set him some target that we think we'd, we'll know his love. I, I've, I've, my brain's whirring with that already, but um, we'll come back to that. And then hopefully we'll either get Daz back on the show or at least get his feedback when he sets our remote viewing test. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Well, um, I hope you enjoyed that episode. It was a real pleasure to put together and... Um, Oh, we'll see you very soon on the Quantum Mechanics. Yeah, see you soon. Are you the Quantum Mechanics?